0: to Faith, part 10, Zechariah 7. Justice, mercy, and not fasting is the, uh, what we're looking at today. Um, this is an interesting one, I think, uh, more than ever, because it says not fasting, and our in- inclination is to say, well, actually, we should fast. We're Christians. Uh, we should absolutely fast. We should absolutely uh, fast to the Lord. Um, but I think today... What this is focusing our attention on, and actually many verses in the Bible focus our attention on, is when we fast, um, it's not out of ritual that we do it. It's not out of a sense of repeated uh, ritual that we do it. We don't do it every month, we don't do it every week, or we don't do it every day. Uh, There is a very clear way that God talks about fasting. And I think as a church, it's really good to know what that means because... What I'm going to get to really, the point of today, is to understand that we can call a fast as a church and we can come together and fast, but unless we're doing it personally and know how to do it personally and I walk with God, I think this, these verses and many others speaking to a problem of a little bit of hypocrisy that we might do uh, when we come to church and we say we'll fast together. Actually, the first thing. Is your personal relationship with God and how you do that. And even so, it's not even to share that with anyone. It's not even to say, I fast this much, and we'll, we'll get on. You must know the verses that talk about the tax collector and the Pharisee, which I'll come on to. And he says, I fast. I spend, I give the tithe, I do all sorts of great things for you, Lord. He says out loud in front of everybody. But this, what God says is fast is something that is done now certainly in the New Testament personally and a relationship with God first so when we do call a fast you know what that is and the church are doing it not as a only because we're a church together but we do it because now we're just doing the thing we do personally in a corporate setting in a church setting and I think it's really important to know what this means so let's go on to Zechariah 7 of the verses I'll go through the verses and then I'll speak on what what the theme is today what uh, what, we, what we need to get out of this. In the fourth year of King, uh, of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, the month of Kislev. The people of Bethel had sent uh, Shereza and Regimelech together with their men to entreat the Lord by asking the priests of the house of the Lord Almighty and the prophets, should I mourn and fast in the fifth month as I've done for, uh, done for so many years? Good place to stop and understand what this means. We're looking at around December 518 B.C. um, A delegation came to Jerusalem with a question about fasting. And at this point, the temple was somewhere around halfway built. The fast in the fifth month uh, remembered the destruction of the temple. And so they come with this question... Should we now do this to remember the destruction? Because we're so far on now with the build. Now we should kind of look back and go, "Oh, remember what it was before and looking forward. They wanted to know if they should continue fasting in mournful remembrance. And there is a problem with this method and what they're doing here today, or what they're doing in our verses here as we're reading them. The problem was they're asking... God about fasting, but this particular fasting had actually been instituted by man. It's not instituted by God, it's something that men did. It's something that men came up with and said, uh, we mourn the loss of the temple. And so what they did, they started it, and then for for a long, long time, they got into this routine of fasting. There's about three other fasts that go along with this, um, but this one we know for sure is man-made it got into a routine a ritual of remembering the temple so they asked this question and they've been doing it for so long they're now saying well should we just do it again so then they uh, continue uh, Zechariah 7 5 to 7 says ask all the people of the land and the priests when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months for the past 70 years was it really for me that you fasted and when you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? And these, uh, are these not the words that the Lord, uh, the Lord proclaimed through the earlier prophets when Jerusalem and its surrounding towns were at rest and prosperous and the Negev and the Western foothills were settled? God's word through Zechariah rebuked the people. People of God, absolutely, but he rebuked them all the same because what this fasting had become, in effect, it had become these indulgent pity parties. Uh, instead of looking to God's provision and fasting towards the joy of God's provision, they looked at a building, a a thing that that kind of carried their faith in many ways, and they mourned over it. They were heartbroken over the thing. And so God says, were you really mourning for me or were you doing that for yourselves? We know that in the good times, we read earlier uh, in this series, they used materials and the land to make themselves happy. So God tells them, but in the feasting times, you were uh, not doing it for me either. You were selfishly feeding yourselves and uh, you you weren't... uh, celebrating God you weren't celebrating me you were happy to feast on the food and the land and then you build you you put all these great nice uh, frontage on your houses it says uh, to make it look nice and and lovely and yet the temple lay in ruin so God is pointing out this hypocrisy the sense of asking God should we do this fast and yet it says but when you did that fast it was for you It wasn't for me. It was your fast, not my fast. So this all meant that their lives were not right, regardless of when they fasted or not. And so because their hearts were not right with God, their rituals were not right before God either. This everyday obedience would make their times of fasting uh, meaningful. If they came to be obedient to God these times of fasting would actually mean something. But their neglect of everyday obedience made their fasting hypocritical. They did these rituals out of purely a sense of tradition. Even as we look back, their ancestors, if they had been obedient, they would never have needed to fast. And yet God calls them in the past, in the Old Testament, further back, he says to them, you must display this sense of sorrow and mournfulness. But actually, God didn't want that for them. We see that actually in the New Testament, the way fasting should be is, is quite private. And actually, it, it's, it's a recognition of our brokenness to bring us to a sense of reality in front of God. But then that leads to joy. But because of their disobedience, the way God would tell them to behave in their Fasting would be to wear sackcloth, would be to be sad and mournful because of their own state, which they failed many times to realize. Goes on, verses eight to 10 says, and the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty said, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor, Do not plot evil against each other. Here, Zechariah described this kind of obedience God wanted, beginning with decent, loving treatment of one's neighbor. Some that we find uh, among God's people found it easier to fast for a few days a year, really, instead of truly treating other people with love in a godly way their bad relationship with others demonstrated this fundamental bad relationship with God. We see that in, in the New Testament that Jesus says that the, there is only now two laws, there's two things that we must do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and love your neighbor. Two things that reflect uh, the true love of God is that we receive God, we absolutely love him first. But if we've understood Jesus, then our behavior is that, We must love others in order that they may come to Jesus too. And yet we play this game of judging, of using political ideals, using the Bible to back up political ideologies. You cannot tweak people's behavior if they do not know why they need to tweak it in the first place. If they don't know Jesus, why would they change? There's no reason to change at all, is there? I have no desire if I tell someone, abortion is wrong. Great. Thank you for that. But why is it wrong? Why is it wrong? Because, because I'm a moral Christian. Because, because God said so. Is that really where we begin? We tweak outward behavior with no reason as to why anyone should change for any reason whatsoever. So we have Jesus, but we tell other people, you know what, you need to stop being angry with that person, you need to stop doing this with that person, you need to stop having this relationship with this person. And yet we do not get to the simple crux of the matter. It's all about Jesus. If it isn't about Jesus, no one's gonna change. If it isn't about Jesus, I don't come here and say, My life is a mess, my life is, sometimes there's sin that tries to attack me, sin that tries to get to me. I don't admit it, and so what I do is, I sit in this pious position, and I say, you should do better, because I am. It is important that we have a good relationship with our Lord, first and foremost, absolutely. Let me continue. Dan, can you do me a favor? Could you turn off that television in that room? It's driving me absolutely bonkers. (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) It's just underneath, the button underneath. Thank you, Dan. I don't know if you can hear it. It's absolutely jarring me entirely. I, I hate it. Thank you, mate, brilliant, thank you. Okay, where are we? Zechariah 7, 11 to 12 says this, but they refused to pay attention. Stubbornly they turned their backs. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or to the words that Lord Almighty has sent by his spirit through the earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. I can't think of a worse set of words in, Not even in that whole verse of 12 But the last part It takes a lot for God to be angry A lot He is so gracious and patient with us And the moment you read in any text That the Lord Almighty was not angry But very angry Something needs to click In our heads and in our hearts Something needs to click in the heads and hearts of God's people. Because they know from their ancestors that when God got angry, he did not mess around. He did stuff which was rightly punishing, rightly testing, rightly pushing his people and saying, This is not good enough. I'm angry with you for worshiping other gods, for worshiping idols. Nothing more of an example could be uh, helpful than the Exodus, than the uh, being lost in the wilderness for forty years. God gets angry. If you're a Christian, you accept that. I'm going to tell you that the world doesn't like when God gets angry because people hate righteousness, people hate true righteousness, people hate a standard that is above all standards. And so what they do is they say to themselves, that's not right, that's not fair. And then there's the other side of it, God is a loving God. He is absolutely a loving God, but he is in perfect love. Not the love between a person, one person and another, not between anyone else in this world, I'm talking about a perfect love that is righteous and justified. And so when he gives us this amazing grace, this amazing gift of salvation, anger makes sense to me. God's anger makes sense to me. So how can you you throw this gift back in my face? I've given you so much, I've given you grace, I've given you love, I've given you my son, Jesus Christ. So that you may live, and you may live in eternity with me. But they refused. So what Zechariah does here is describe a progression of rejection. It begins simply refusing to heed God, then a self-justifying shrug of the shoulders. So what? It all ends, as the verses say, hearts as hard as flint. And so, in their hardened state, they didn't just want—they didn't not uh, sorry—didn't want to hear God's word. When we when we lose our hunger for God, here is an example of what's going on. What they looked into was the was the ritual, and what they lost was the original love of God that they had. And so, when God tests them and says that ritual doesn't mean anything what they're more worried about is God having a go at the ritual this, this is an incredible warning for us as Christians to be really careful what things we hold and how are they positioned in, in position to God are they things that are taking precedent over him so when he does say I'm taking that away that's not healthy for you are we going okay, Lord, that's going to be tough. That's going to be hard. I'm going to keep pushing in. I'm going to keep praying. Or are we stamping our feet? Are we acting like the child? When we lose our hunger for God's word, it's sobering evidence of the progression of rejection and hardness of heart. So we do need to be so careful. And the last verse is here. Uh, before we get into the main part when I called uh, they didn't listen this is uh, 7 13 to 14 when I called they did not listen so when they called I would not listen says the Lord very fair I mean God is being very fair here right like for like they didn't listen I'm not going to listen and yet he could have done a whole lot more rightfully justifiably verse 14 I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations where they were strangers the land they left behind but behind them was so desolate that no one traveled through it this is how they made the pleasant land desolate since God's people refused to listen to God to God God would refuse to listen to the to their prayers and answer them and this is just another good reason to stay under the teaching of God's word so that our prayers will be answered. Their disobedience and disregard for God led to the scattering and desolation. So, I'll quickly talk about this main thing today, obedience before ritual. I want to give you a message from the Bible that I I hope sets you free from ritual. There are so many rituals, uh, name whatever church you want uh, and whatever denomination you like, including Baptists, by the way. Uh, where we have rituals and things that we do, and now let me say this: uh, human beings are ritualistic in their behavior uh, we are we, re- we repeat things because that 's what we do there's a comfort in repeating things so let me say this: Jesus did things let me say this in quotes ritually he he went to syn- he went to church he went to synagogue, he went and practiced he did what he what others did what his people did he did exactly the same he never threw that aside I want to tell you that there is a ritual of sorts which is good when the ritual turns bad it's when the ritual becomes God is that easy to understand when the ritual itself is a thing that I'm marking myself on and how I've put I'm I'm performing before God something's gone wrong when I say I don't come to church this morning Something is wrong when that is the thing that I'm judging my performance by. Whatever I do here, when I judge, I didn't do this, I didn't help that person, I didn't speak to this person. When it gets to that level, what we're doing is we're judging our ability to be perfect like God, to do everything absolutely to the letter. And you know what, there's no need to do that anymore. There's no need to do that in the letter of the law because Jesus fulfilled the law. And so what we do, we serve Jesus instead in the hope. Oh, in the hope that we serve him well. But always knowing that we can't do it perfectly. Always knowing, because otherwise here's what happens. If I think that I can do it perfectly, I don't need Jesus anymore. Does this make sense? If I, if I think I can do things perfectly, if I can not think of, not think of angry thoughts, or anything you might think even in the Ten Commandments, if I'm trying to check those off, and I think I've done it, I don't need Jesus anymore. The rich man that spoke to Jesus uh, in the parable of the rich man, and he, he says to him, he's done everything, he says, I've done everything. I've done everything to, 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 uh, in, in the eyes of God. Everything that needed to be done, I've, I've fulfilled everything. And yet when he said to him, but there is one thing, and you just need to let that go, and then that'll be it. You, You will have understood why Jesus is here. And when he said, give away your money and your wealth, what did he do? He went away sad. He don't want to hear that. He did all the other stuff, but he doesn't want to hear about giving away the thing that actually became an idol for him maybe a ritual in many ways that he held that money to himself that was the thing that it was his little God Jesus points out and says that's the thing that's just stopping you from knowing why I'm here in the first place so there's a balance to strike but I want to be clear about specifically in fasting obedience to God first is important and fundamental I would argue so I want to set you free from this work-based salvation that people talk about sometimes, which is that you must do stuff to earn salvation. Not true. Totally unbiblical. Okay? There's no such thing as works-based salvation. You accept Jesus. Jesus does all the work and done all the work. And so I'm I'm now eternally with him. I can be with him for the rest of my days. And that's it. I hope this helps us to understand that any ritual is worthless if it's outside, if outside those rituals we live unaffected by the word. And so I have to say that fasting biblically is a challenge. It's a challenge to carry out correctly. Uh, I've had lots of experience, I would say, in this church of when we tried fasting in the past. Never sat right with me, I have to say. Fasting is complex. And it has to be done right. And it has to be done with the right intention as well. First and foremost, I have to say that fasting is not a method to con God into doing something for you. Okay? What it doesn't do is it gets God to do something. Like you're on a, a hunger strike. It doesn't work like that. Okay? You don't fast until God says, okay, I'll give in. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give what you asked. It's so not why we should fast. We can see from the text we read that fasting itself has to be done, but not as a separate ritual. Only done when the whole life of a Christian is continually focused on being obedient to God outside of those times. So what must come first is obedience to God. Obedience to God in everything. And what we find actually is that fasting is part of this normal, obedient life of a Christian. Matthew 9:15 says, Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? A time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. Implicit in this text is that they will fast. Not they might fast, not they'll think about it. They will fast. It wasn't right for Jesus's disciples to Imitate the Pharisees in their hypocritical following of the laws. So there's no fasting. But there will come a day when fasting would be appropriate for Jesus' followers. But in that present time, when Jesus was among them, it was not that day. And I believe that what Jesus describes here is that there will be as mournful as losing a close relative, losing a close friend, a family member, and there isn't, sometimes for some people, there's an automatic uh, thing that happens in grief. You don't feel like eating. People stop eating for a while. They, they tend to just not want to eat food. I'm not calling that fasting, but there's, there's a sense that Jesus is telling us we're fasting because, and certainly in this context, when the disciples see him go back to the Father, there's a sense of loss, almost. Yet at the same time, Jesus says, but it's okay, because the Holy Spirit's gonna come. He's gonna be with you forever. But at the same time, there's a, there's, a, there's a time of mournfulness before the Spirit comes. He says, wait, wait. So we know there's this, there's this sense of loss that the that, that disciples must feel. But at the same time, that loss is getting them ready for the Holy Spirit to come in his power. And so we know that when we read in the Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes for the first time among them, it's immensely powerful. From loss to victory. The reassurance that Jesus is not dead. Actually he's alive with the Father. He is in heaven. Sitting on his right hand. So I think what is being described here. By Jesus. Is for us that we must have such a close relationship with him. That when we do fast. We won't do it for ritual. But because we want clarity in our relationship with God without the distraction of our humanness. Now that seems counterintuitive because when you fast, you tend to think about food. If anyone's ever fasted, you will know that the one thing you talk about, and this has happened here, and I imagine in many churches, you have the fasting, you come together for your meeting in the evening to kind of pray and just like, seek God. What's the thing we talk about? How hungry we are oh, I'm so guilty. And then we we sit around and we go, I can't wait after this. I'm going to have a big meal. I'm going to go and have a big meal, big. That's inevitable. (laughs) Sometimes there's no way around that. However, with lots of practice personally, I truly believe that we can get to the point where that won't be a problem, where fasting for God becomes about a relationship with him rather than something we're just kind of abstaining from. It's then, it's then actually doing, oh, I'm going to be in his presence. The food, I'm, I'm telling you, at some point, again, if any of you have fasted, at some point you cross over from being incredibly hungry to not being hungry. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. There is a point where it doesn't actually affect you anymore. And I, I wonder if this is like that. You know, uh, when, and I don't do a lot of this, so I should be, going to the gym or getting fitter. But I know when they call it hitting the wall, right? And you just go, I can't do this. It's too much. You know, they're doing, they're doing these sort of really powerful exercises. They're doing it Miles and miles of running. And then suddenly it's like, I'll stop. And they call it hitting the wall. Fasting is like hitting the wall, that moment where you kind of go, I can't do this. I need something. But persevering, the difference with God here is that God's with you. God's with us in that fasting. And so our getting over the wall is actually not us at all. It's the Holy Spirit. We go, right, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to bring my focus back on God. And what I'm trying to say is it's not easy, okay? It's not going to be easy. But if we personally look to doing these things, actually when we come together, we can help one another. We each have our own experience potentially in fasting to God. Actually, there is a lot of experience we can share about that as church and help one another in doing so. And honoring God in that fasting, rather than talking about the the burger you're gonna get in the pub later on or something like that. But fasting is a reminder of our frailty, God's abundant goodness and grace in what he has created for us to enjoy. Luke uh, 18, 11 to 14 says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Uh, Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, we did this uh, little play for refresh. Is that right, Gene? Yeah. Uh, it's a it's great set of verses. He says, or even like this tax collector, he says out loud, I fast twice a week and give tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God for all those Who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so you might know this parable well, but maybe something we haven't quite appreciated about it. Of course, the overall message of this parable is that he prayed out loud and he was not like others, says the Pharisees, not like those other terrible people. He's a great example to God and he wants everyone to know about it, how great he is. He gives his money away, he fasts for God, and everyone should know. But he's being pious, a hypocrite, of course, because that's the purpose of these verses. But what does the tax collector say? God have mercy on me, a sinner. There's no ritual. There's no thing he's preparing himself for. He's not showing off about what he's done for God, even to the point where he doesn't even look up to heaven. So convicted by his sin, convicted by his weakness, is that what God is looking for is this humble heart of brokenness. He's not looking for rituals. He's not looking for religious things. He's looking for a true heart that says, I'm so not worthy, I'm not even going to look up. I'm not even going to look into the sky. I just can't because I'm not worthy to look at you. I'm not even worthy to look in your direction. And not once did he speak about fasting. Not once did he speak about tithing. It was simply that his admission of being a sinner was actually an act of obedience. That, Jesus says, that man is justified. He's exalted because of his humility in front of a holy God. Whereas the Pharisee celebrates his fasting in front of others, the tax collector mourns for his sin. says, I'm not worthy. And we do find often in the Bible that fasting is associated with mourning. And there is a sense of that. We're mourning for our sin. We're not not mourning for buildings. We're not mourning for previous temples, for things that look nice or that we thought were, that became idols. We're mourning for our sin, our brokenness. Of course we are. And so we find in Isaiah that he also warned God's people of doing fast simply as this ritualistic outward show to God, as if to impress him. And these are really important verses. Isaiah 58, 3 to 5. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? Um, there's a problem with this, this one sentence, one line. You cannot to say to God, why have we humbled ourselves? It is, it is a contradiction in saying so. If you say you've humbled yourself openly to God, it means you haven't humbled yourself. This is, this is where this warning comes. If I have to say I've humbled myself, there's something wrong with me. Okay, I'm not humbled. I'm not acting in humility. I'm showing off to God how humble I am. And that doesn't even make sense. You can't be humble if you have to tell God you're humble. This, right, God knows we're humble. Am I, am I making sense here, Does this make sense? You can't say you're humbled and be humbled. staggering i read it over and over again and i'm staggered why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed yet on the day of your of your fasting you do as you please yet on the day of your fasting you do as you please and exploit all your workers your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high Is this the kind of fast I've chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? The reality was that his people didn't fast with the right heart. They did it as an empty ritual. The reality was that even on a day when they fasted, they still exploited their employees. God didn't accept their fasting when it wasn't connected with this sincere heart of obedience. They fasted for needs, yes, that's fine, absolutely, but it was selfish need. Like, Lord, help me win this argument. Lord, help me get power over this person, let me defeat this person, let me be the winner, let me be right. And even though their prayers were accompanied by fasting, it was still selfish, even wicked prayer. So God does not answer. The kind of fasting God rebukes here is hollow, it's empty. It's a show without this spiritual substance behind it. This isn't the kind of fast God has chosen. But the answer isn't to stop fasting but to get right with God and make our fasting more than superficial. And he said, God says, it's not about fasting itself. It's where it comes from. And so he continues. Isaiah 58, verse 6 to 10. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and to and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer and you will cry for help. And he will say, here I am, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry, Satisfy the needs of the oppressed and your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday, the brightest time of the day. God tells his people, if you want to fast the way that pleases him, begin with getting right with your brothers and sisters. Stop oppressing others. Reach out to others you disagree with. Show love to those as God, as Jesus Christ has shown love to all of us by dying on the cross. Show love to those who don't believe so that they may know the Jesus that we believe in. So to get right with God means we need to stop the evil we do towards others, towards each other the finger pointing, the accusation. If God's people would couple their fasting with lives of righteousness and love, then we will see prayers answered. We would have lives full of light, full of healing, full of righteousness, full of glory of the Lord. And when we call out to God, he will answer. And so this is a promise for those who do more than just empty religious rituals. To have the guidance of the Lord, empty religious ritual is not enough. We need to seek God with both sincere hearts, sincere actions, but it must start with a sincere and obedient heart. We know from the text that for those that, for us that are called to serve God in obedience, in love for Him, things of the kingdom can be accomplished. People can be saved. People can be brought to a knowledge of Him. But I want to stress and I want to carefully contextualize these verses. This is not to go the other way. We're not to turn the gospel into a social gospel. It is not to to fix the ills of the world. It is to bring people to Jesus. So just like I said earlier, when we were talking about all the things we might accuse the people in the world of doing, we also don't do that by, by giving, by trying to put a plaster over things of the world that's broken. And we do that now with so many things as churches, we try to fix these little issues And in fact, the only way any of this is going to get resolved is if people believe in Jesus. I'm telling you, without the heart changing, these these other things, these tweaks, they won't make a difference. Jesus fed the 5,000, and yet the feeding of them was not the point of why he did it. He said, "I I can basically give you everything you want, but it will not be enough because what's coming after this is eternity. And that's what matters. Are people going to hell with a full belly? Or are they coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, I will do, I love you, and I just wanna, I wanna know you, I wanna know who you are, why should I believe in you? And so we overcomplicate our role here in this world. Our role is simply this, bring the light of the gospel to people who don't know it because we know it and you know what flows from that all that other stuff flows the food banks flow whatever you want to call it and there shouldn't be food banks by the way i'm going to tell you now don't get political i'm telling you now there should not be food banks anywhere in any country ever it is a terrible indictment that we have to fill that gap and we're not serving we're losing that sense of service, then there is a place to serve the poor. There is a place to help people. But we don't replace government, we don't do their programs for them. We're here to share Jesus. And so, with that, we have sincere hearts. We want to serve, we want to feed, we want to help. Absolutely. Must start with Jesus, though. And our works are then an outward expression and reflection of how we receive and understand the love of Christ towards us first. And so there weren't big differences between the Old Testament fasting and New Testament fasting. Uh, For instance, we still find in the New Testament that it was important for the church to fast together. I want to just make this last point here of why it's important that we personally seek to uh, fast uh, in our personal relationship with God. Acts 13 verse 3, so after they'd fasted and prayed placed their hands on them and sent them off you see they just they just did that they just went that's what we're doing we fasted and prayed sent them off it was almost like it was automatic to do from a church perspective there's a way of fasting I think we need to be careful I've seen many churches not not far from here I don't condemn them for it because they're doing good things by fasting. Fasting is is not done in advertising. We don't advertise fasting. We we talk about it here, in this church. We don't tell people when we're fasting. We don't even show people that we're fasting. Jesus says that. I'm going to get onto that too. We do it together because we want to do it for God. People don't even notice that we're fasting. We don't advertise it far and wide. And the reason for that is we need to not do that so to avoid hypocrisy and the misuse of fasting. And I believe it right that we, uh, where God leads us to do so, fast is our personal practice in our faith to God. And here is the verse, Matthew six sixteen to 18. When you fast, don't look somber as hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. I'm sure that's what the Pharisee was doing. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What I believe we need to do to carry out biblical fasting is to do it personally. Start in the personal relationship that we each have with God. And I believe that the way the Bible speaks of fasting in this corporate context is always an assumption that we're doing it personally first. So that we come together, it's automatic. There's no struggle to do it in a sense. We're doing it already and there's no hypocrisy in when we come together and do it together as a church. Because we're already doing it in our personal context. Each Christian's walk with God is both personal and in fellowship, we know that. It is both exclusive and inclusive. And that walk has to be a constant seeking of obedience to God by the power of the Holy Spirit, not to strive in works, but to allow God to continually change us. When we fast in our personal walk, biblically, And in response to obedience, we stop the act of fasting becoming a religious act when the church does it together. You see, what is absolutely fundamental first and foremost is that we have a real relationship with the God of the Bible. Before any ritual, even even more than fasting, before anything else, we have this relationship with the accurate, true God of the Bible. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, The bigger warning for us as Christians is to not allow religious rituals to take place of a true relationship with God. Even if those things have to go, the one thing that must remain is a relationship with God as you read in the Bible. Get into the word and read about him. And so we need to seek a relationship that allows him, allows God to search our hearts and show us the reality of our disobedient heart. And I really believe this. When we let go of the religiosity, of the rituals, and allow our hearts to be broken, and understand the brokenness of these bodies, of these minds, I truly believe that we will be absolutely free in Jesus. The only way fasting is ever going to work Any ritual is going to work, even if it's biblical, is if we just admit everything to God. I'm useless. I need you. And I'm telling you, God will hear our prayers and God will do something. But first, we need to have that personal time with him so that we can come back together as a church and together start to pray into and fast the things that God wants us to do as a church let's pray uh, and then we'll worship together